He said for the last three months, mentally, I'm just, yeah, I can't do it mentally anymore. Like, mentally, I'm fried, but my body is still hitting bombs. <laughs> I don't, I don't know his brain you. is just short-circuiting and ready to be done with baseball. Right. And yet, oh, 150 RBI. Baseball Viagra is yeah. still very powerful. Call a that's, doctor after 20 seasons. Yeah, it's probably. Your home run power does not go away. I think there's no way around that being the intro to this podcast. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612 341 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. The following is a 1500 ESPN Twin Cities production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and done. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. So, this is the Touch Em All podcast, which you can find in its entirety, as always. We're like uh, almost two, well, a year and a half into this podcast, yeah. weekly podcast. And uh, if you're new to it, hi, welcome. And um, if you're new to the Facebook Live experience or if you're listening on the podcast and wondering why are they talking differently this time around, we're going to give you like 10 or 15 minutes on Facebook.com slash 1500ESPN. And we can take questions if you want to send questions into the question box or whatever you would call that, the comment box. But we're here to talk about reportedly, it's not official yet, and I'm guessing it won't be official until after the Ryder Cup is over because why would you want to announce perhaps the biggest hire in franchise history when one of the biggest events in Twin Cities history is going on. But Derek Falvey, 10 years with the Indians, just a little older than I am, and I think I think he's actually younger than a couple players on the roster. I think he's younger than yeah. Irvin Santana. He's like 33 years old, and he was the assistant GM with the Indians. He's climbed up as a scouting guy, a uh, baseball ops guy. Impressions without having met him and without having talked to him and without the Twins having confirmed it yet on uh, Derek Falvey as the yeah. new well, godfather of Twins baseball. First of all, you, do you start to feel you see a guy like this rise to president of baseball operations? Is there ever a thought in your head that goes, "Man, well, what am I doing?" You know, I'm I'm recording podcasts about <laughs> this Twins. This guy's going out and he's doing it. Um, I don't. Mike, it's possible he goes down in flames too. So maybe. Yeah. They, you never know with some of the young hotshot sports executives. Well, Everyone wants a Theo Epstein. Or an Andrew Friedman, the yeah. next up-and-coming super young guy, but all too often you get the opposite, which is someone who wasn't ever ready to lead uh, a group of employees. I put this in my five thoughts column on the hire. So if you if you haven't seen that yet, it's on 1500ESPN.com. But the, the thing that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Phil, on the podcast, um, as I try to fit myself in the Facebook frame here, the idea that you might not you might not be uh you you want to be careful about hiring based on proximity to success right and i'll i'll use the metaphor that you used which was if you're looking to hire the ceo of a 
tech startup, you don't just go hire a programmer at Google because he or she was a programmer at Google. Right. Did that person actually help Google do something, or was Google already established, right? That's exactly. The, like, the Patriots are a great example of that. Sure. So many different, how many different Patriots coordinators that go on to be head coaches actually wind up being great head coaches? Sure. Almost none of them. Charlie Weiss, Romeo Cronell. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, Josh McDaniels. He's young enough. He's not even 40 yet, I yeah. don't think. So he has Good. a chance. But you're hiring, and that's what the Twins have done here. You're hiring based on proximity to success in some regard, right? It wasn't like they tapped into, although they did go, there was a rumor that they were going after one of the Braves uh, front office guys. But it's not like you're going to Braves and Diamondbacks and these yeah. crappy franchises. Yeah. You're going to Indians, division winners, Cubs, best team in baseball, and uh, J.J. Piccolo or Piccolo yeah. uh, from Kansas the Royals. City and, don't forget, Tampa, too. Tampa had sure. a and name in the running. So you're going, you're going for organizations that have a track record of recent success and hoping to find a smart person who played a role in that franchise's success. Yeah. And by all accounts, and this is, again, this is like second, third-hand accounts just trying to back-channel on information, people are saying behind the scenes that Derek Falvey had a lot to do with the Indian success as a pitching staff the last few years from a developmental standpoint, identifying talent. And if that's the case, it's very obvious why the Twins would be interested in him because their pitching is terrible. And yeah. it's been for a long time. <laughs> right. Well, so to that point, to extend the Google metaphor, and I wrote about this in, in my Five Thoughts column after the the news kind of started to leak out. Well, it's possible. It's possible. Like, don't don't forget this as a possibility. This is not me blanket assessing this as a winning, successful hire because they found and tabbed somebody that – a lot of people consider to be an up-and-comer. Okay, great. That might work out. It might not. My point is that you might have just hired a Google programmer, but Google liked that programmer enough to hire him and promote him aggressively up the ladder to At the a point young where age, yeah, yeah. he's in his early to mid-30s and already the assistant GM. You know, after they promote uh, uh, Antonetti to president, okay, then they they hire uh, Chernoff as their general manager, and then they basically tab this guy, Derek Falvey, number three. All right, well, Google doesn't just promote people to CFO because, ah, well, whatever. Maybe this person could work out. Yeah. My point was that uh, it's, it's possible you're just hiring someone based on proximity to success, but in this case, I think the process is sound that you trust Google enough to have made the correct hire and promotion, and now you're tasking this person with running your baseball ops department. Uh, MG chimes in, and if you have questions, if you're hanging out with us on Facebook Live right now, you can definitely yeah. throw those questions into the comment Let's section. The issue will be how much meddling the poll ads and Dave St. Peter do going forward. Uh, for example, manager, gassing the staff, costs, money in scouting international. My sense is, and this was my sense when Terry Ryan was brought back too, Jim Polad, A, Dave St. Peter doesn't do a ton of unnecessary meddling on the baseball ops side. It wasn't like Dave St. Peter was telling Terry Ryan, here's what you can do or, or approving various moves. Terry was in charge of baseball operations, and Jim didn't meddle in that either. In fact, yeah. Jim never once turned down Terry Ryan for payroll consideration. Now, Terry was very frugal and conservative with payroll, and I'm sure if Terry would have asked for an extra $50 million, he would have been turned down, so it's all sort of relative. But I think Jim Polda, this is my perception, wants to hire somebody smart, and Dave St. Peter and the rest of whoever else is involved in the interview process, hire somebody smart, put them in place, and hope that they win, right? Yeah. I don't think Jim has an interest 
in being involved on much more than a peripheral level. He just wants to sort of – it wasn't like he bought this team. It was handed to him. Uh, it wasn't his passion. And it, it oftentimes seems like more of a labor for him than something that he – he's definitely not Mark Cuban, let's put it that way, Yeah. as a professional sports oh, owner. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty clear from interacting with Polad over the past couple of seasons that he was he tossed Terry Ryan the keys and said, you go drive the bus. I don't, I don't want to have to drive the bus. Like that's going to continue to be the case. I don't see any reason why Jim Polad would change that part of his process. And I get it. I get why the Polads are going to have a bad rap among Twins fans, especially like they haven't done anything to curry good favor really over the past six seasons. Like there aren't many examples you can point to that say since this partially publicly funded stadium was built, the Polads have done this, this, and this to ensure a winning culture. Like. I get why they would get a bad rap yeah. for not having done any of that stuff. Totally fair. Totally justified. But to to sort of assume that, man, they probably screwed this up because they screw everything up, well, that's just kind of just lazy op- opinion-making in my in – my, that's my you personal know, view. One good hire goes a long way in erasing yeah. perceptions about an owner, and Glenn Taylor might approve that. Yeah, Tom I mean, Thibodeau. I mean, Glenn, Ta- yeah, Glenn Taylor – Sort of, it took him a long time, and he made a bunch of bad hires, and David Kahn was an unforgivably bad hire. But the perception of Glenn Taylor up until he brought Flip Saunders back, and even when he brought Flip Saunders back, the perception was still, well, that's, that might have been a good hire, but that was a comfort zone hire. Sure. And it's just incompetence across the board. But if you go out, hire the right search firm, and then that group of people leads you to Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden, and if that pans out, then all of a sudden Glenn Taylor is no longer a bumbling owner. He's the owner who hired the right person to get the organization back on track. So Jim Polad, even though he's been a pretty passive, bad, disinterested, and um, um, is there a word for lack of curiosity? Uncurious owner? Anti-curious owner? I just made that up. Yeah, Go with it. Sure. Anti-curious. He can fix that perception if Derek Falvey is the right guy. Can I bring... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say on the costs point, because to MG's point, here's one thing that I do agree with from our our Facebook Live comment here, that I I don't think the meddling is as big of an issue as fans tend to perceive it as. I I don't really know where that comes from. If there's somebody that's driving that perception, I'd, I'd be curious to hear who that is. But... The thought about costs is interesting because not only payroll for the major league staff, but I also wrote this in my five thoughts column. I want to see how much they build out this front office. I think personally, there's no way you go with status quo. There's no way your massive overhaul is, okay, we hired a president and he's going to hire a general manager and then everyone else kind of stays in their position in the Twins front office and we go on as we were. I think that'd be a pretty big mistake here. In fact, a colossal missed opportunity. What I'll be curious to see... And the Cleveland front office lists about 10 additional front office members than the Twins do. Interesting. Yeah, so I'll be curious to see if they're hiring new positions, because there's where costs becomes important. Uh, Commenter MG, back to that, when they they mention uh, the staff and costs and things like that, I don't really care if the Twins spend $105 million versus $112 million on their Major League payroll, but I will be curious to see if they spend the extra million, million and a half, to get salary and benefits for 10 more front office members to help build out that staff and become more competitive. Because even though there's not a salary cap on Major League payroll, yeah. I'm not sure the marginal million 
is going to help you a ton, whereas the marginal million spending on a front office staff and really, really hammering that hard, yeah. that could be huge. That could be the difference of multiple wins every season for the I mean, rest of the franchise's I, existence. I can't remember if we ever went over this on a Touch em All podcast, so if we have, it might have been a couple weeks ago. I know we talked about this on my radio show, so I get it mixed up sometimes. They're both really, really high quality. I oh, see, for sure. Like, and would. the point I'm about to make is totally yeah. worth hearing a second time <laughs> if, you, if you haven't heard it yet. Let's hear it. Um, I think Theo Epstein is the highest paid baseball executive in the league uh, between GMs and, and presidents of baseball operations. And I want to say, maybe somebody can Google this for us, I want to say it's like 4 or $5 million a year. So he's getting paid less than a lot of number four and number five starters. Like, he's getting paid less than sure. Mike Pelfrey. Sure, exactly Who, my point. Who's more valuable to a baseball team, Theo Epstein or Mike Pelfrey? Right. So in theory, I know we always deal in in terms of payroll to players, and of course those players are represented by a union, which will go to fight for them if, uh, if there's some injustice. Managers and GMs and coaches are technically just part of the ownership, right? They're, they're not part oh, yeah. of the MLB Players Association. So um, it makes sense to splurge a little on a smart front office. It makes sense, and Derek's girlfriend texting on the Facebook live feed. Hello. <laughs> Did it not show up? I, I don't know how that works. Um, I think it makes sense to pay, if you think a guy like Theo Epstein or a guy like Derek Falvey at some point is worth five or ten extra wins per season, yeah. then he should be making like, Twenty to thirty million dollars per year. <laughs> right, if you, right. If you put it in terms of wins above replacement, well, and forget so you should splurge on a few extra employees in a front office if you think it's going to get you five extra wins. Forget just the one person too. Like, there's no person. Uh, you know, Rob Manfred's not coming down and mandating saying Twins front office should really be about fourteen or maybe fifteen people, and you should travel about half of them. When teams like the Boston Red Sox are coming in and blowing that number out of the water. And I'm yeah. not saying the marginal body is going to make a huge difference every single time, but what's the argument against doing that other than, eh, we're okay. What we're doing works. No, no, it doesn't. Like, you've proven that six years in a row. So my argument is just, let's see how this changes the front office structure. I think they should beef it up. I'll be curious to see if Falvey's given the latitude to do that. And to MG's point on Facebook Live, that is the kind of thinking that I want to see Falvey implement if indeed he does take over the Twins front office. That, that look, it's not just the marginal free agent decision here or like, can you get this trade right or did you get this draft pick right? Those things are all important. Don't get me wrong. Bigger issue to me is how do you structure your decision-making process? How do you structure your front office overall? Is there a position or is there a, is there a process that allows you to succeed more often than you've recently been succeeding. Uh, Cole chimes in here on Facebook Live. Will we see a three-tiered baseball ops hierarchy? If so, who is the third leg? We don't really know yet, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, to me, it makes sense to have president of baseball operations and then whatever you want to call the other titles. I'm sure general manager will be one of the titles. And and then if there's a third tier in there, if you have sort of a triangle of authority with Base president to baseball ops and then two other legs to sort of stand on. I think it should be someone with a rich scouting background who really has a handle on the human element and some of those intangible things that you can't quantify. And Terry Ryan would have fallen into that yeah. category. Still might. I Yeah. <laughs> could you imagine? Still might. Oh yes, I could imagine, actually. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, 
We'll see. What are the, is there a non-zero chance? There's a non-zero chance that Terry Ryan would be like the special assistant to the general manager. Wow. Or whatever. And then and then the other guy would be somebody more analytically inclined, sure. somebody with uh, with a grasp on sabermetrics. So and, let me say. Explain to me your thought process here, what you're talking about, like the what the structure would look like. And, and Cole, if you're still there, I suppose you could explain what, what you are thinking too. I, the way I see this playing out, you got a president who then hires a general manager, and then you have whatever, your assistant general manager, and then build the front office down from there. You sort of have these departments, one's in charge of pro scouting, one's in charge of amateur scouting, maybe international scouting's a different department. Advanced stats and baseball research should be a department, and these kinds of things are all then different arms that you put someone in charge of and have a have a staff under that person. But to me, the three most important people in the front office would be the president, the general manager, and in this case, the assistant general manager. Uh, assistant general manager, would you be shocked if it was Rob Anthony next year? I wouldn't be shocked. I just. Rob brings some value in that he's been negotiating contracts for the better part of a decade yeah. in Major League Baseball. Rob brings value to a front office. I'm just really hesitant to guarantee high-level front office jobs to anyone involved sure. in a I, front office that helped take a team to the bottom of Major League Baseball. I get that. So, And I like Rob. I think Rob, Rob is a smart guy. Rob has evolved a lot over the past five or six years from everything I've heard. And um, it'll be interesting to see if if Rob were to get let go in this process. I think Rob gets a job with another organization in some capacity. Sure. Yeah, but I don't have a great read on that. I want to I want to throw a couple things at you here. And by the way, uh, we do have some more questions. We'll get to on Facebook Live dot com slash fifteen hundred ESPN. I want to bring to you because we were talking about with Derek Falvey. You're hiring the philosophies of the Indians organization, right? You're just like if you were to hire Jason McLeod from the Cubs, yeah. you're hiring a guy who has Cubs philosophies or Royals philosophies, if it's J.J. Piccolo or Piccolo. What are some of the philosophies and what are some of the traits of the Cleveland Indians? Well, they pitch their asses off. They've, if you go back the last three years, the Cleveland Indians, if you, if you add up their uh, relievers and their starters, lead the American League in strikeout rate going back three years lead the American League in earned run average, and lead the American League in XFIP. Mm -hmm. And for those of you uh, non-stat geeks out there, XFIP is basically what would your ERA be neutral from defense, so you, you or independent of defense. Uh, if you stripped away, like the Royals have great outfield defense and some of the best defensive teams in baseball the last two or three years. So mediocre pitchers have better ERAs, right? So what would their ERA be if you stripped away defense? Are they being aided by their defense or hurt by their defense? And uh, the Indians, even if you strip out defense, are the best pitching staff in baseball the last yeah. three years. Yeah. But, and they've cultivated three what I would consider top-of-the-rotation arms. Carlos Carrasco, Corey Kluber, and Danny Salazar when he's healthy. The Twins, the last three years, and even beyond that, mm -hmm. pretty much the opposite. Yeah. Dead last in the, in the American League in strikeout rate. Dead last in the American League in earned run average and dead last in XFIP, yeah. and have zero top-of-the-rotation arms to show for it. Although Irvin Santana has been pitching pretty well. Yeah. I think he, I don't. If you were comparing Irvin Santana to the other three guys in that Cleveland rotation, which one would you start at the top of a rotation if healthy? I think he's number two to almost all those guys, to yeah. be totally honest. You could debate maybe Danny Santana, well, uh, Salazar. But. So the Indians, to your point, like that's, that's the biggest thing to me, is if Falvey gets the pitching right, 
the other stuff's still important, but it becomes more fringe conversation. It's it's not the heart and the guts of the conversation. The guts of the conversation is pitching, specifically starting pitching. Yeah. They also, by the way, lead the American League in velocity. Actually, I take that back. They're like Cleveland. top three in velocity, Cleveland, over that stretch. And this is going to go way down the analytics path. But Fangraphs quantifies effectiveness of each pitch. Mm-hmm. And their off-speed stuff, collectively, is the best in the American League over those last three years. In terms of convert, converting batters into outs yeah. using specific pitches. Okay. They have the best off-speed stuff playing off of high velocity on sure. the fastball. And uh, I, I just find that kind of interesting. So yeah. there's a process by which they are winning in Cleveland from a pitching perspective. And the Twins don't have anything like that process, you would think, behind the scenes. Yeah. It's not just dumb luck that the Indians have been that good the past few years pitching, and the Twins have been that bad. And it's not just like, oh, well, they lucked into better players and more no. talented arms. These are trades. These are drafts. These are free agent signings. Development. Mostly trades, if you look at the guys yeah. that, that we are just talking about here. Let's get to a couple more questions and then wrap up the Facebook Live portion of it uh, and, and just continue the podcast as we are. Uh, who's this, Bill? Uh, let's go to Tony here. Tony, okay. Uh, does being an ex-college pitcher give you more voice or respect when it comes to being a front office guy? That's like Tyler. In situation. Okay, yeah. Uh, Tyler, yeah, thank you. Uh, sorry, I skipped Tony at the bottom. We'll get back to you. Uh, Tyler, quickly, yes and no. I mean, he had like an 11 ERA at yeah, he hardly, like Trinity he's like, College or something. Right, <laughs> I mean, like, like he, was a, he played the game, so like that matters to an extent. Andrew Friedman never played. Andrew Friedman came from Bear Stearns. From Wall Street, yeah. Right? You're not going to necessarily march into the clubhouse and say, Here's what we should do on the pitching side because I was a pitcher. It's like right, I but pitched at Trinity and had an 11.47 ERA. Everyone so you I'm talk tell to, you. <laughs> every single pitcher you talk to, has had more success as a pitcher. Yeah. So like they're not taking your word for it based on track record. But I do think that there are certain things that can be gained, especially from people with an analytical bent, to explore their own biases like one of the big things about the stats revolution in baseball has been well let's explore the biases that we've just sort of like these these groupthink things that have just emerged like well every time someone makes a big defensive play how funny it is how often they lead off the inning and actually that's like not true it's just something that has been made up and survived baseball culture there's all kinds of things that's maybe a bad example but there are certain things like that, sort of truisms that have survived in baseball. Um, I think that having played at a relatively high level does matter, though. I think that it allows you to sort of examine some of these things. Yeah. Um, and I'll use the example that you pointed out to me in a YouTube video um, from Falvey, the 2013 Sabre Convention, when he was asked, what are some ways that organizations can overhaul prospect development and and become a little bit better at developing some of these top-end prospects. And he said, honestly, there's not that much time that they spend actually honing their craft. Such a high percentage of their time is spent schlepping around on buses, which doesn't help them develop into a major leaguer. And that was, and he said that, like you said, at a Sabre metric, at a Sabre, baseball yeah. research convention. Yeah. Or it's a lot, a lot of analytics, and, and he's thinking more human element. Sure. And that's what you want. Yeah. Analytically inclined, always considering human element. Human element analytics and where are the breaks in the system like instead of just sort of accepting at face value this is how we do things this is the way baseball is run like if you can sort of tweak it and to use your friedman example uh, jonah carey wrote a great book called the extra two percent wherein he took wall street philosophies to 
a major league front office. If you can figure out ways to just increase the percentage chance that a minor leaguer surfaces by 1%, that matters. If you can increase the percentage chance that a pitcher stays healthy throughout the course of a season by 1.5%, it sounds so trivial, and trust me, it's not. All of that stuff matters when you're talking about uh, such a like tightly competitive industry like Major League Baseball, if you can give yourself a little advantage in any of these areas, that stuff adds up. It matters a lot. So to your question, uh, I, I believe that was Tyler, Like, it matters in as much as it allows him to question sort of conventional thinking, whether it's on the stats side or the baseball side. I think someone like Molitor is well-positioned to do that too. He thinks about stats but he's also had a Hall of Fame career and makes him think like, well, this is what we thought when I was playing. How can we apply that? And is that right or wrong? Let's not just throw it out, but let's figure out how we can manipulate, if that makes sense, yeah. how, how to kind of turn it and become more valuable. On the uh, Molitor front, let's take one more question on Facebook Live here, and yeah. then we'll say goodbye to our Facebook Livers, and then we'll continue on with uh, the rest of the Touch em All podcast here. Bill wants to know, and this is probably more of a question for you because you've been around the clubhouse a lot more than I have this year. What's your assessment of Molitor's intermediate-term future uh, if you're sure he's around at least one more season? I'll just give you my quick five-second thought. I think he's back. I think there's been too much momentum. He wants to come back. He told Doogie on the Scoop podcast this week, very good one-on-one conversation. If you haven't checked it out, the Scoop podcast, iTunes, 1590ESPN.com. And um, he he owns it. There's been a lot of great managers. Jim Leland lost over 100 games once in the 90s. So managers have less influence over wins and losses than coaches in other sports. So you can't pin it. You can't just say, well, Molitor became a bad manager and they, went, they would have been an 80-win team if he wasn't so terrible. It's not, you, can't, you can't say that. I think he comes back, and then I think they evaluate sometime next year, Derek Falvey and whoever he hires, to, uh, to see if Molitor is a fit going forward. I don't think it's a slam dunk. Um, I know Jim Polette has said that it's a 100% lock. I mean, not in those words. I'm paraphrasing. A lead pipe lock. <laughs> yeah, it's my lock of the week. And that's how he said it, too, yeah. actually. Polette put on his radio it's voice. It's another revenue stream for the Twins. Yeah. Yeah. A 1-800 <laughs> lead pipe lock. Number. <laughs> I think that it's more likely than not that Paul Molitor will be back. So if that's your question, that's my answer. Um, but I don't think it's a certainty. I, I think there are enough things that you can point to and say, here, here's what I say when my friends ask me if Molitor will be back. And you guys are my friends, so I'll let you in on this. Okay, I respect the job that Molitor did last year. I thought he was a great manager. I don't think he's been as good this year. I think he's made some managerial mistakes, managing people and managing the game. I think that's fair to criticize. But I also think he's really smart and in the right situation, I think he's a good tactician. I think he would he has the makings of being a good major league manager. Mm-hmm. But here's what I say. Like Polad's saying that is basically what you're what you're saying in sort of the tacit implication of that vote of confidence is I think Molitor is the best person to manage this group. That's why you would say he's back next year. Okay. If Molitor is the best person to manage this group. Imagine what the second best person would have done this year, right? Or imagine someone who's not the most qualified. Like, right. I just can't get on board with that line of thinking that there's not any way that there's anybody better. At the same time, it might take two or three years before Derek Falvey gets the group that he wants right. and sure. thus will we'll then know more about what kind of manager he wants for that group. Molitor also said on that Scoop podcast that you mentioned that he wants his coaching staff back. I'd be shocked if that happens. I think Certainly if you're seeing somebody them. back, it'll be Molitor. Uh, 
progressively much less likely that any of the coaches are back. Oh, one for next one important thing to note: we've heard this from uh, a few different people. I know Dan Gladden had heard this. He did some back channeling with Cleveland people, and then one of the Indians play-by-play guys was on with Royce on the radio yeah. a couple days ago. And uh, and both have heard that Terry Francona and Derek Falvey have a great relationship, and Francona raves about yep. Falvey. And that's important because I think, especially for mid- and small-market teams, you're looking for any edge you can get. You can't just outspend your other uh, division opponents. You can't just spend money to get rid of problems. You have to innovate, and you have to find little cracks and crevices here to increase the extra 2%, like uh, the Jonah Carey book you were. And if and if you're going to do that, communication between innovative front office and field staff, manager, players is very important. Yeah. Front office collecting information and scouting data and analytics and putting it all in a big crock pot, and then you have to deliver that information down to human beings who have to implement it in their actions, right? Yeah. So you have to get the manager to buy in, the coaches, the players, and communicate on a level where they're going to understand and uh, apparently Derek Falvey did a great job with that in Cleveland with a 90-win team and a division champion uh, led by Terry Francona. It's a tall task. Uh, let's wait and see how this plays out, as I always like to do. But I think encouraging signs that they went to a successful organization, hired an, uh, ostensibly someone who's up and coming. Um, but I don't think doing that is a guarantee for success. So he's got a tall task in front of him yeah. that starts with hiring out the rest of the front office, but then turning around a 100-loss Twins team to sniffing uh, competitiveness, I, I think the turnaround could be fairly quick, or at least more quickly than than I think I've I've heard a lot on Twitter. They say it's a multi-year rebuild. I don't believe that. I think that this Twins team has the bones of a good baseball team. It's just been terrible. They've played terrible defense, really bad pitching. Like I said, I think the manager's taken a step backwards at times this year. But I do think that the pieces are in place that. Hey, with the right moves, this could be a relatively quick turnaround. So I'll be curious to see how quickly that does switch. Uh, we're going to say bye to our Facebook Live crew, facebook.com slash 1500ESPN. Thank you guys for joining us. This was fun. We'll try and do this. In fact, we record yeah. the podcast every Tuesday anyways, every Tuesday afternoon. So we'll try to make – we just did this kind of on a whim today, so we'll make it a little bit more noticeable and, and try and – get closer to a set schedule right and what i would say is if you enjoyed this if you were here thank you for coming on facebook live and just let us know on twitter say hey we liked it hey we didn't like it whatever it ends up being hey derek you should get rid of the undershirt yeah yeah neck uh, pink sweater get rid of the undershirt actually get rid of the sweater too we could just do the shirtless touch them all no one needs to see that yeah (laughs) so nobody thank you for coming facebook audience uh rush of the podcast will continue after this Hey, this is Ben Gessling, the Vikings beat writer for ESPN. If you're into the Vikings and you're not already listening, make sure you check out the Purple Podcast on 1500 ESPN. Judd Zolgan and I break down the Vikings every week, tell you everything you need to know about the team. You can check us out on Podcast One, iTunes, or 1500ESPN.com. All right, Derek, I don't want to go through all 100 things that have gone wrong for the Twins in 2016, but that is the column you just posted on our website, 1500ESPN.com. So many losses, 100 things that have gone wrong for the Twins in 2016. Uh, It looks like you categorize these by, by like, infield, outfield, pitchers, catchers. All right, I want you to go through three from each category very quickly just go three from each category of your 100 things that went wrong for the twins in in 2016 <laughs> it was a lot man <laughs> this was this was a lot and i first should uh lay 
the groundwork. I, I had the idea for the column a little while ago, started putting together a list, but I could not have done it without your help, Mr. Mackey, without Judd Zalgad's help, without our buddy Cursa Punto chiming in. Um, baseball reference was also invaluable in this column. It's not, it's not like I had a running ledger of all 100 things, but here we go. This was a, this was a deep dive, and as I feel like I stretched it out, like I used multiple things for Miguel Sano, yeah. multiple things. There are people on Twitter pointing out, you could have gone deeper. Actually, there was a, more on this, man. You're condensing this the list. The first comment on this might be right. is the same. The first comment <laughs> is, it's hard to add to a list like this, but, and then he, add, <laughs> and then he adds to the list. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, please, by all means, if you, if you read the column and you think I missed something, hit me up on Twitter, at Derek Wetmore. I would uh, genuinely like to hear the things that I omitted, because I'm sure there are many. Um, but you're right. I split it up by category. I'll give you a couple um, I'll just give you the first couple because I think we could spend all day on this, and I'm not sure who wants to hear that. I think there's just too much weight to this list. But uh, starting pitchers, things that went wrong. They have the worst starting staff in the American League and in Major League Baseball, so that went wrong. For a long time. That was not good, yeah. That's not uh, just exclusive to 2016. 2016, I also mentioned Kyle Gibson, who took a step backwards. Terry Ryan, I remember, spoke to us in spring training, kind of the assembled media, and just talked about how he viewed Gibson as being a step forward candidate and he's done the opposite. I I praised Gibson this winter saying like he's a ground ball guy who learned in stretches last year to get strikeouts and that is an encouraging sign going forward. Pretty much everything about this season for Kyle Gibson has been discouraging. Yeah. I'll if, add actually, I think if Gibson if Gibson pitched for a team with with better defense behind him. Oh yeah. You'd have a slightly different perception of him and I think he'd have an ERA below 4. Sure. But we're still yeah. talking strikeout rate down, walk rate up, ground ball rate which has always been his strength. That's down this year and his ERA ballooned from 3.84 to 5.04. Oh. So it's pretty hard to defend that season for Gibson. Phil Hughes also uh is the third one in starting pitching. Obviously, it's just like a, a comedy of errors for him. He, you know, he had the line drive off his femur, which cracked a bone in his leg. He has the he was one of the first pitchers this year diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome. That surgery ended his season. There have been other pitchers who've had that too, so he's not alone in that. But I think that Phil Hughes was pitching hurt all year. I think that hurts his numbers, and the end result is not pretty with a five point nine five ERA in. 59 innings for a guy you're expecting to lead your rotation. Yeah. Not good. So that's starting pitching. God, there's 20 of those. We won't dig into all of them. Um, I guess I'll just fast forward. Go relief well, pitching. Number, number 20, they only have one starting pitcher with an ERA under five. Did you hear? Did you go uh, oh, one God. back? Number 19, the Twins have one starting pitcher, Irvin Santana, with an ERA under four. <laughs> number 20, actually, the Twins only have one starting pitcher, still Santana, with an ERA under five. Yeah. Yuck. Like, that's dis- that's just so gross. In fairness, the league ERA shot up this year because of the home run. A lot of home runs hitting know, ba- Major League Baseball. Baseball must have uh, taken away the, the humidors. Yeah. Baseball put a little extra balance <laughs> in the... That I think we're going to set a record for most players with 20 or more home runs in a season. I saw that yesterday. From the, like home run rate, the home run rate around the league. I saw this from uh, uh, Jeff Passan the other day. The home run rate is up to beyond steroid level era. Like, that's... Our steroid era levels of home runs are being hit. So, you know, Brian Dozier still deserves congratulations for his 40-plus home runs, but it's within the context of the fact that everybody's hitting more home yeah, runs right now. And so that's making pitching 
numbers look good for baseball if they found a way to make it more fun to watch i guess i am not in the camp that more offense leads to more entertainment but that is a disagreement for another podcast my friend uh relief pitchers for the twins things that have gone wrong their bullpen era also ranks last in the american league glenn perkins hurt and done for the season in week one their backup plan by the way, was Kevin Jepsen, and he imploded for 30 innings before they DFA'd him. He blew four saves and 11 chances. He really made this team look worse than it was in the first month and a half of the season before they finally mercifully said goodbye to him on, I think it was like July, the first week of July, they DFA'd him. Um, not good, not what you would have hoped in your backup plan for closer, although I would argue that's not Jepsen's fault that the Twins poorly planned their bullpen construction this season still. He did not get his job done, and he made things a lot more miserable for the Twins in the first two months of the season. Yeah, that was just God. This just feels like such a. I'm downer. reading through some of these, man. J.R. Graham was DFA'd after the Twins protected the Rule Five pickup all a, of last year. They, just such a downer in a season in which they were. Con- I forgot about that. They contended. They were in contention last all year. year last year, and they and hit J.R. Graham in their bullpen. They punted one of their bullpen spots and hit him in the bullpen, and then they DFA'd him in like May. Catcher, I'll just go quickly. I don't need to go three on this one. I only have five listed, and most of them have to do with John Ryan Murphy not working (laughs) out. Um, Remains to be seen if he becomes a player. I think that'd be very nice for the Twins if he can develop into a backup caliber catcher, but I heard one NL scout said uh, earlier this week, just kind of talking over the Twins roster and stuff, and he said, yeah, you know what? I think they might have hidden John Ryan Murphy in New York. Not 100% sure what he means by that, but I think he was basically saying when you're hitting 8th, ninth in a Yankees lineup that's fairly potent. Selecting the pitchers. You're going to get, yeah, you, you're going to get to pick your matchups. He's going to get to hit more fastballs. They're basically just like not worried about the guy at the bottom of the lineup. I think there is something to that. I know there have been statistical studies on these kinds of things. Um, I, I don't think J.R. John Ryan Murphy can can possibly be as bad as he's shown in the 2016 season. I think it kind of just got away from him and tailspun. But starting in spring training, man, that trade just did not bring in the kind of catcher the Twins thought that they were getting. Of course, if you had just kept Aaron Hicks the whole season, you would have been just as disappointed. I mean, Aaron Hicks is the same old Aaron Hicks with the Yankees. Well, so let's move on to the infield. Uh, I've got Brian Dozier's first two months. Everyone's going to celebrate his MVP season as they should, and I don't mean American League MVP. I mean Twins MVP, which Brian Dozier is without a conversation. There's no conversation to be had about who's the most valuable player on the Twins. It's Dozier and it's Dozier by a lot. With that being said, Dozier is also a big reason that the Twins sucked wind for two months of the season. Yeah, he, he was, was awful. He was unusably bad for, for yeah. the first eight weeks or so, yeah. And he turned it around to his credit. I'm not trying to take anything away from the overall season that Brian Dozier has had, but it bears mentioning in a, in a column that mentions 100 things that went wrong for the Twins. Are you going to keep adding as they lose games this week? Man, I don't know if I have the stamina for it. It's just well, it's Donald a lot. Trump thinks Hillary doesn't either. Well, so. that's another conversation. It's it's there's just there's a lot that went wrong. I pointed out specific games. I pointed out specific players. I pointed out stretches. I pointed out injuries. Um, Brian Dozier's stretch definitely belongs on that list of things that haven't gone well. I also there was some comedic value to the column because I figure you can't do a column like that that's just all downer, 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 downer. So I did mention number forty four is. David Ortiz's epic farewell season for the Boston Red Sox. Not only did you give up on that guy and he went on to have a Hall of Fame level career, his goodbye season when he's supposed to be washed up and just sort of fading off into the sunset like Derek Best Jeter hitter did. hitter in baseball. He's, he's, he's big poppy. 
I love once how again. David Ortiz basically broke the video game, right? He's sick of playing baseball, which is why he's going to stop after this year. He said for the last three months, mentally, I'm just, yeah, I can't do it mentally anymore. Lot. Like mentally, I'm fried, but my body is still hitting bombs. <laughs> I don't, I don't know his brain you. is just short circuiting and ready to be done with baseball. Right. And yet, oh, 150 RBI. My cheat code was supposed to have expired this season. My subscription was uh, supposed to be canceled, but uh, it auto renewed. I guess baseball Viagra is yeah. still very powerful. Call a doctor after 20 seasons. That's probably. Your home run power does not go away. (laughs) I think there's no way around that being the intro to this podcast. (laughs) Um, I I guess quickly, the the outfield, the Miguel Sano experiment was flawed from the beginning, but it blew up in their faces. A lot of us expected it to. So that's one thing. Byron Buxton not being ready is not like terribly surprising given his age and relative experience in the minor leagues but I think I I mean I still contend and I think we agree on this point Phil this is a totally different season if Byron Buxton is ready to be the kind of player he is today if he's ready to do that on April 2nd you know what though even if you add up all the bad stuff for Buxton this year I believe he's still a one and a half war player. Amazing, and that's that's for not how just how bad he was. That's not just oh, after he came back and figured it out, he's one and a half war. If you include the bad stuff early on and you add it all up this year, Byron Buxton has been worth a win and a half above replacement, mostly because of the power and because of the defense. Defense is fantastic. Uh, the final thing on outfield that I'll mention is our guy Oswaldo Garcia. <sighs> Yeah, we, we might have whiffed on that one. I'm still, well, just like he has whiffed on most pitches he's seen this Basically year. Basically all of them, yep. yes. I'm still holding out hope. All right. I think <laughs> a, a fifth organization could do him good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's totally possible. It's totally possible. Non-zero chance that that happens. A uh, couple of highlights from the rest of the column, because honestly I'm getting bogged down just by mentioning these, but like the staff failing to develop at least failing in quotation marks, to develop Buxton and Jose Barreos early on in their major league careers raised serious and legitimate, I think, questions about their player development model. Yes, those players are young. Those players are inexperienced, relatively speaking, at the minor leagues. So in some form or fashion, their struggles in the majors should be, I don't want to say expected, but plausible. Like it's realistic for these guys to have struggled this year. But when it's player after player after player after player and they get up to the major leagues and are not ready to compete, you start to wonder, like, well, what's going on? Is it their minor league coaching staffs? Is it their player development process? I don't know, and I'm not levying that specific criticism. I'm not saying the Twins are bad at developing players. I'm saying their player development process did not work this year. For whatever reason it is, it did not contribute in a meaningful way to wins in the major leagues. I don't think there's ever one thing that you can point to and say, wow, if you fix that, you'll be developing players in a better, different way. It's everything from communication to scouting to maybe even logistics. There's so many things that go into great player development systems. It might just be what Jim Paul I would call a total system failure that has led to the Twins' inability to develop pitching over the past 10 years. Like, you can't just sit there if you're the Twins and incite bad luck or injuries or, well, every team, it's hard to to find pitchers in the draft. It's a crapshoot. Right, but 10 years? I mean, 10 years? If if you want to talk about the draft alone, it's longer than 10 years because Johan Santana and Francisco Liriano were not drafted by the organization. Francisco Liriano was a trade acquisition, and uh, Santana was a Rule 5. 
acquisition. So you got to go back a long time before you find someone the Twins drafted and developed as a starting pitcher who turned into like a number one, number two guy for uh, for a number of years. Maybe Brad Radke, to be Oof. honest. It's a lot. It's a long time ago. It's like 20 years ago. You know, well, that, but, was, that was awfully negative. But the only right reason, the only reason our podcast is <laughs> not as popular as say, like you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, or like you know, the Tim Ferriss Show, anything. It's just, but we've had some bad luck. We got a bad turns, bad turn of events that haven't really played out in our favor. I think. I mean, if we get a couple of breaks here or there, we're talking probably record downloads not only this month, but really kind of like changing the podcast industry with how innovative this touch em all podcast has been and if it's not bad luck then it's 1500 espn's inability to develop young audio prospects <laughs> well that there might actually be some truth to that one 